listening to www.infinitesmile.org. Enjoy these Zen-inspired talks given by Michael McAllister. Thank you for listening. The Infinite Smile Sangha is made possible by the generosity of friends, members, and people who have been touched by this teaching. Please visit our donations page at infinitesmile.org to help us continue our efforts in spreading the Dharma. Well, it's good to see that you're all here, despite the fact that the Giants are playing. And if you know the score, please stay quiet. Not that I'm attached or anything, but (laughs) damn. Um, (laughs) It was quite a silly little moment. I'm leaving leaving the house, and my wife uh, is sitting on uh, one of the one of the chairs in the family room with a pasta that she just finished making, eating like this, watching the TV, and the girls are standing right right in front of the TV like this. <laughs> My little three-year-old's going, Buster Posey, Buster Posey. <laughs> yeah, see you guys, I'm going to talk about Dharma. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, bye, Dad, bye, you know. <laughs> I heard uh, one of my friends who kind of, uh, he and I I do kind of a similar thing here where we we sit in front of people and talk. And um, he said, you know how you hear musicians say it always comes back to jazz? And I'm like, yeah, gosh, it's it's really fascinating when you, the the craftsmanship of great jazz wherein uh, an individual can allow for a flow state to begin to inspire what's coming out of his or her fingers or whatever. Just such, such an amazing thing, such an amazing thing to witness if you get to see it live. And if you don't see it live, just to be able to listen to recordings of people who have on the spot delivered like that. I love the rumor that Miles Davis um, wrote the charts to the entire album, kind of blue. Wrote the entire, all the charts in chord, you know, he just wrote them all out. Okay. Gave one to, uh, I guess it was Paul Desmond and so forth, uh, and it, the rest of the group. On his way from the East Village up to uh, Midtown where he was recording. So, 15 minutes. 15 minutes in a cab, and it may be one of the greatest, I don't know if any of you even know what I'm talking about, but it's just, it's so, it's timeless, it's just really quite beautiful, and that was his whole idea. Whole thing, one take, took him 45, 45 minutes to do the whole album, or so they say. <laughs> well, it all comes back to jazz, and the point that was being made was that, and uh, any type of Spiritual work all comes back to forgiveness. That none of this begins until we are able to forgive. So what is it 
and this is such a great space to begin looking at your own practice, what is it that you cannot forgive? If you can uncover that, you can explore that, you can begin to kind of, you know, check it out. You are doing nothing other than checking out exactly what's preventing any type of deepening. Awakening will forever remain at that level until, until forgiveness can happen. And then once forgiveness can happen of a particular event, of a particular state of being, either of oneself or of another, we can deepen it and we can deepen it and we can deepen it. But it always comes back to forgiveness. It's particularly powerful uh, when we begin to look at this uh, individually. What is it that I cannot forgive? Right there, you can sense in that moment. Right there, you can sense where there's closure, where there's defensiveness, where there's division, where there's a me and a them, or an I and a you. And there's also certitude. We're convinced that we've been wronged, or we're convinced that we have done wrong. And in that conviction, we spin. Instead of expanding, we just spin. We get caught in the eddy, so to speak, of uh, the flow of life. And there's nowhere to go. So one of these great ways of uh, deepening one's practice is to begin to look very squarely at what it is that you're not forgiving, either in self or in other. And then begin the practice of forgiveness. Start small. What can you forgive? Who can you forgive? And what would it look like? What would a deep resonant forgiveness look like? In spiritual terms, forgiveness is opening. And if you can't forgive, you are essentially reauthoring a story of closure. And in reauthoring a story of closure, you are simply allowing the ego to say no. Universe, you will wait at the door. Thank you. I'm still here. And this is quite cute. But it's also something that we at some level have to be done with. We have to get tired of it. We have to be ready to kind of say, not going there this time. So if we could, tonight as we sit, just for the 30 or so minutes that we're in stillness, forgive. And the stuff we cannot forgive, we find that we just can't quite forgive. We can't forgive God. We can't forgive our mother. We can't forgive our ex. We can't forgive whatever. If we find that place right there, that's the uneven, abrasive sur uh, surface of your ego. Kiss it.
make friends with it. Know it. Study it. That's the pointer that points, it literally points us right into the house of God. It's where the insulation kind of falls away and there we are exposed totally, become very intimate with that spaciousness and just see what happens. Might not feel comfortable, but start there. Start small. Expose yourself to it a little bit. Stop hiding. Stop evading. And you'll find that what ends up kind of unfolding is a quality of beauty in you, reflected in others, all the time that you are in that space of open giving or for giving. talk we've stressed how this takes shape how this uh, process of awakening takes shape um, that it needs certain supports that we oftentimes can ignore or at least move past maybe a little briskly and one of the great misunderstandings is that um, Non-attachment is the same thing as rejection. That letting go, we mistake the idea of letting go, which is ultimately allowing, right? We mistake letting go with pushing away. And pushing away is, is the other side of attachment's coin. In other words, usually we think of attachment as going after, right? But in effect... Avoiding something is exactly the same thing as attaching to something other than this. It's a very, very common misstep that uh, seekers make along the path is instead of allowing, instead of forgiving, what do they do? They reject. So aversion and greed, both of those two, th that, that pivot point right there where we are actually in balance is where we're n neither area. We have not leaned into greed, nor have we leaned into avoidance, not into or away from. We're just right here. And in that space of right here-ness, all sorts of amazing things begin to kind of unfold. It's actually an open field wherein awakening can occur. It's where the enlightened path begins to kind of, if you will, take over. And that's actually kind of reminds me of our mission our mission at Infinite Smile. It's a spiritual path to enlightened peace and freedom in everyday life. A spiritual path 
to enlightened peace and freedom in everyday life. We don't play favorites to a particular tradition. While my training was Buddhist, it doesn't matter. You can be the most guilt-ridden Catholic or Jew and still get something out of this. You can be the most fundamentalist of any faith and still get something out of this. It will probably rock your sense of fundamentalism. Um, but you can still begin to deepen your appreciation and awareness of whatever tradition you're used to. Same thing with atheists. There's nothing in this that's about believing in anything as much as it is a practice in living in ways that allow for this openness to occur, allow for an uninsulated, undefended opening to be exposed to the light of truth beyond name, truth beyond form, truth beyond mind or body. Obviously that sounds pretty esoteric and weird, but that's kind of the direction we're moving into. To do this, another misstep that we make in addition to clinging or avoiding and thinking it's not clinging, another big one is that we believe that um, really forgiving or really letting go means we allow for people to beat up on us or we allow for ourselves to beat up on ourselves. That this is what generosity is, actually. That if we allow for everything to happen, if everything is just kumbaya, you know, and even though, you know, life seems to be smacking us in the face, like, oh, no, I can take it, you know, that's not being upright. That's not awake. That's being asleep and pretending you're awake. That's denial running around saying it's aware. So we need to have, I spoke about this last week a little bit, we need to have a practice wherein there is wisdom. But wisdom is not true if there's no tenderness to it. And we need a practice of compassion. But compassion can't be true unless there's discernment mixed in with it. In each case, we're talking about the resolve of our spines. In each case, we're talking about having a certain fearless integrity to our experience, no matter what comes. And we practice with this. And lo and behold, when the torpedoes do come, even if they hit the ship, there's an integrity that has been built that allows for us not to sink totally, that allows for us to figure out how to right the ship. So we need both of these aspects. We need wisdom with tenderness and we need compassion with discernment. We need to have, we need to be able to have full use of our minds. What we don't want to have is full misuse of our minds, thinking the whole time that our minds are being put to full use. 
we don't want to run into these eddies along this stream and just get caught, okay? We don't want to keep hammering our thumb while we're trying to put a nail in and wonder, why am I in pain? We want to be really, really aware. Looking at compassion to begin with, there are a couple of different ways of approaching compassion. I always, I always am uh, uh, pointing out what Trungpa Rinpoche called idiot compassion. And idiot compassion, it's kind of fun to spy within ourselves and within others. If you find it within others or within yourself, try not to use the word idiot because it kind of hurts, okay? But be discerning about it, all right? The idea with idiot compassion is where you are giving to all beings, you know? May all beings be happy. Even though I'm not, I'm going to make sure that they are because then everything, I'll be, I'll be a good Buddhist. Well, a good Buddhist would actually have both an expression of love and compassion for others and for themselves. And if they don't, their expression for love and compassion to everybody else is a conditional, egoic negotiation that really gets no one very far ultimately. It might feel good for a minute, but it's not, it doesn't offer a lasting resonance that authentic compassion can deliver. Idiot compassion is always partial. It's always at the expense of this thing we call a self. How many of us are really about doing good, you know? Don't show, don't raise your hands, but just like, you know, want to do, want to do right by the world. And yet, you don't do right by yourself. You don't do right maybe by your own kids or your spouse. You don't do right by what's right in front of you. Same applies for fighting for what's right, for justice. Absolutely. Every one of us better be willing to take stands. But taking a stand is different than taking a swing. And so fighting for justice, if it doesn't involve being just externally as well as internally, we are dealing with precisely half of the requisite power to really move mountains because we're divided. I've said before, one of the, one of the gifts that, uh, uh, you know, the great contemporary sage Gandhi, or maybe best exemplified in, in Nelson Mandela, he was never divided. He never looked at his prison, at the guys running the prison, he never looked at them as his enemy, okay? As much as a situation that must be met with full compassion. Every one of us has that within us. Every one of us has opportunities to deliver that very awareness, that very uh, expression of compassion that has discernment with it, that very wisdom that has tenderness mixed in with it. Every one of us has that. It tends to get, I don't know, murkified. It's a new word. Deal with it. Tends, tends to get murkified by the mind. We tend, to, we tend to 
hold back and tense up around certain aspects. And so what ends up happening, our delivery is incredibly partial. And the partial delivery gets a partial response and we wonder why it doesn't last. When we start looking at true compassion as opposed to small compassion or idiot compassion, big compassion actually will involve complete and total surrender. And complete and total surrender can sound like a lot of different things. Most often it's, <laughs> wow, okay. It's, it's rarely, I give up. Uh, it's not whiny. It's undefended and open. I referred to it uh, in a couple of talks uh, as, um, remember Dances with Wolves? And the scene where he's, uh, uh, it's at the very beginning of the film, and he puts his, puts his boot onto his broken leg and he gets on this horse and he rides right into the Confederate line on his horse galloping and he just raises his hands like that. That's surrender. Christ on the cross, that's surrender. But it's being totally present. Surrender means going into any and all situations fully undefended, without armor, without a shield. And as we do this in small ways, what we start recognizing <laughs> is that uh, nothing sticks. It might not feel familiar. In fact, it rarely does. But what we start recognizing is that any swing from any sword, no matter how broad or sharp, goes through and out the other side of what's true in us. What's cut and what bleeds in us is precisely the stuff we don't need. So if we were going to take this idea of letting go as being the truest form of generosity, and we went into then looking at wisdom, okay, and wisdom without tenderness, like I said, won't get us very far. If we start looking at wisdom in two ways, small wisdom means knowing. Small wisdom is, I get it. Small wisdom always has an I before it, okay? I understand, I have read, I studied with. I, get the idea, all right? And it's not that this isn't important because this can actually help support what's beyond and prior to this I. But the problem is this small kind of wisdom is inherently bound by our mind's capacity to understand. And so when it doesn't understand something, it will tend to resist it. And when resistance patterns start, start coming up in the mind, we tend to shut down. We tend not to forgive. Instead, we start to become certain of things. So we contract. And contracting in this capacity keeps us from the opening that's necessary to receive and then 
generously deliver. Awakening. Grace, whatever you want to call it. Big wisdom, on the other hand, recognizes some depth that goes beyond the small wisdom. Big wisdom recognizes fully that there's a relationship between the sign and signified in life and neither is complete. Now, I know none of you thought you were going to get a lesson on semiotics when you came in here tonight, logic, philosophy, so I won't go there, but I am going to just share this with you. I think it's a very important way of kind of letting the intellectual mind start to understand and start to go through its own limitations. If, for instance, I were to hold up this flower, okay, this is a, this is a wooden uh, replica, or it's a, it's, a, it's a wooden flower, traditional uh, Buddhist uh, recognition of um, a talking stick, <laughs> okay? When I say flower, you can see the symbol, okay, the sign, flower, and it's signified what a flower represents, but is it really a flower? No. Even if I were to hold up a real, let's say a, a rose, Yes, it's a rose, but the word is not the same thing. The word is the descriptor. Does this make sense? The word is the descriptor of that beautiful, beautiful expression of infinity. How about the chair that you're sitting on? The word chair is not, it points to an idea it, and what you are sitting on is in fact a chair, but there's more to it. A chair could also be a throne. Being able to start looking at the limitations of language and our mental constructs allows us to get past them. I can point to a chair, I can point to a flower, I can point to my friend, but she's more than friend. Just like all of you are more than human beings, there's, there's more to the story. There's so much more to the story. Now here's where it gets cool. There's one word that we use that has all sorts of stuff fixed to it, yet we never explore it. And an enlightened path to peace and freedom in everyday life necessitates the exploration of this one word, I. What does I point to? Is I you? Yeah, kinda. When we begin to explore that and we see that the I, the sign, I, points to something that has no locale, 
the I in this body right here, you are more than your body. You are more than your thoughts. You are more than your feelings. You are more than your addictions. You are more than the things that you refuse to forgive. You're more than all of that. Yet it's all housed in this convenient single letter, I. Big wisdom allows us to see through that tenderly. We begin to explore this I sense. And we get to the root of this I sense by allowing it to play. We watch for, for what arises. We continually pay attention to where we tense up. We continually consider where we feel absolutely 100% positively certain about something. We watch where we totally doubt or reject and we start enabling this experience of selfhood to go from small into something much bigger. We begin to kind of surf between the small and the big. And all of this then is supported by stillness. The tenderness needed for wisdom to unfold properly into big wisdom needs to have stillness there. The discernment necessary for compassion to really be able to regard the cries, the tears, the smiles and the laughter of the entire world it's cultivated and supported by stillness. So when that stillness shows up in your day to day, either through you know, some formal type of meditation practice or just while you're driving or having a sip of coffee or whatever it is, you just, when you kind of take that step back and you kind of have that, huh, experience. And you begin to see through what's signified by the various signs around you. You begin to kind of see that there's so much more. We become very intimate with that. When we can become very, very intimate with it, we can begin to intentionally support it. And when, when we can intentionally support this unfolding in us, okay, we grow. And we grow by letting go. We let go and we no longer have to evade. We no longer have to evade anything. We know that all of this is part of this deep singularity. And we can just rest here and participate from this place of openness. Right in the middle of the world, without fear. We too can be undivided. We too can recognize that those that have trespassed against us are doing their best and that we can meet that 
instead of perceiving it as a slight or a slap, we can meet it as an offering. And that generosity, when we can receive all of that from everything and everyone, we can just as easily let it out. And that's when we become bodhisattvas. That's when we become the saints and sages of today. Not in a way that we cling to or we create an egoic story around, but we just live well. And that there is laughter in the process and love in the process. No matter what happens to your favorite baseball team. <laughs> Go Giants. <laughs> Is there such a thing as a boundary you mean that's informed by surrender? I want to make sure I'm really clear on the question, Mark, because it's a great, it's a, well, let's, 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 un, let's unpack it because it's a great question and I think even if it has been asked a hundred times, it's, it's beautiful, so we'll. Um, there's kind of a, a thought of letting go of just that connotation of vegetating. Right. Yeah, letting go typically uh, for most of us means um, our inner spiritual couch potato, <laughs> right? Yeah. That's not letting go. That's hanging onto the couch. Okay, and so um, let me let me go off of what it, it sounds like. Your it sounds like what you're saying is how is it that you could, you know, have a, have a surrender, informing stuff that you do that you might feel very strongly about. So kind of, is that more in line with, okay. So what happens with surrender and the way that it unfolds uh, rather beautifully in day to day is when we start to recognize what it is that we really feel strongly about. What it is that we, we are really kind of, I mean, we've got the, we're gripping, okay, we're holding. And when we find that we're holding, it means that we are resisting. It might be as subtle as, you know, we're resisting distractions. I'm staying focused, I'm resisting, to, okay. Point of fact is some of those distractions might be great offerings to help us clarify what it is that we want our goal to be or how to get there. But we become, we, we put blinders on. Okay, so that, that's just one area we could play, play with. If you really surrender, you become totally open around a very, very energetic intention. So your intention might be, uh, you know, I gotta, I gotta boost sales for my company, or I gotta, you know, whatever. I gotta make sure that, you know, this. I gotta make sure that this happens. Well, you set that, you create an intention, and you let your choices openly lead you to that place. Because when you set the intention, okay, and you then surrender it, what it allows you to do is let the intention act as a beacon towards choice making as opposed to something that must be uh, uh, attained come hell or high water. 
because if it must be attained come hell or high water, hell and high water begin to come into the mix usually. And we don't know how to swim because that wasn't in the picture that I painted, right? So, so when we really cling to a goal, we tend to defile not only the goal, but we defile ourselves in the process of trying to attain it. And everybody else who gets in our way, you know? So I think more than anything else, it's an attitudinal shift that comes when we know full well that, you know, that's our goal. We may get there, we may not, but damn, there are gonna be all these Dharma doors opening up the whole time I'm walking that path. I wanna be present for each of them. I don't wanna be distracted. I want to stay focused. I want my choices to lead me into that direction. But typically what happens in, in situations like this is that we don't hit what we thought we were going to hit. What we hit is actually something that took us into a really cool space that we never expected. So it's not that you become a couch potato. It's that you become something much bigger than the couch and whatever it is that you're watching on the tube. You become something, you become something bigger. You become a, a choice maker, okay, that leads you to something you may never get. But the choices are informed by peace, by forgiveness, by letting go. And when we let go, we're available to everything. Just your perception also of, uh, of monks just sitting on a cushion and doing nothing. Mm -hmm. A cushion potato. Cushion potato. <laughs> yeah. Actually, monk, monk, when translated from Sanskrit, means cushion potato. <laughs> yeah. You're right. You're a smart man. No, I, I do. I do. And and you know what? I think that uh, unless unless you have um, experienced fully your inner monk, this becomes an academic exercise. If you haven't, if you haven't gone and sat still, then no frickin' way. It can only be informed as a negative resistance. It can't be. The, the, the sitting on one's cushion, you know, the opening totally, as a monk opens totally to the discipline, if, if that's never met, if stillness is never met in an authentic way, then this becomes a pretty pretty difficult uh, uh, path. It's, it's utterly and completely important. I'm saying that with absolute certitude. <laughs> um, uh, but to assume then that uh, sitting on your cushion is, um, is keeping you from changing the world, I don't know. I, I used to think that. I, I think now it's, uh, I think sitting on your cushion may be one of the most important things that this world needs. Don't stay on your cushion, but sit on your cushion and then bring the wisdom and compassion that you cultivate through that stillness practice right back into the world with, you know, love and care and watch what happens. Yeah. Yes, Diana. You were talking about forgiveness. Forgiveness is something that has 
already happened, so it might not be that difficult. How do you deal with forgiveness that doesn't matter how small, it's continuous? Could it, could it be you or somebody else? I'm in favor of forgiving continually, large and small. Don't ever not forgive. I'm not saying forget. I'm not saying forgive and forget. To forgive and to forget is denial. Okay? And denial is actually an attachment. To forget something, I mean, it basically what we're saying is let's repress this evil. Let's repress this unconsciousness. Let's push it. Ah, it didn't happen. You know, keep it in the closet, push it under the rug. Well, the rug gets really lumpy and we trip and, and then... Why the hell am I falling? Well, clean, clean your house, you know? And the way we clean our house, so to speak, is by constantly forgiving. Now, if we are in a situation where we are constantly feeling wronged, okay, we are constantly on defensive, we, are con we have a choice. We can either uh, uh, leave the situation, we can work to change it, or we can accept it totally. And there's Dharma in each of those. Uh, the wisdom to do the right thing comes with tenderness. It comes with generosity. So what's the most generous thing to do? And in that generosity, in that equation, you must be in it as well as whoever else it is or whatever the situation is. What's the most generous thing? And that tends to pull us into a bigger compassion, a bigger wisdom, if you will. I hope I answered your question. I realized as I was speaking that I don't, I didn't really know what you were asking. <laughs> so what happens is I just start talking and you can, <laughs> if that ever happens again, just go like this. Okay. I'm going to work on it. You work on it and then please report back. Sure. Okay. Thank you for the nice question. Whatever it was. Yes. Um, I'm intrigued with this concept of forgiveness and, and you said, you know, think about who you need to forgive. Um, Everyone except that guy. I know who you're thinking. <laughs> Think of somebody who's done you wrong. Yeah, right. <laughs> right. And I guess my experience is that um, what, what gets, what comes up for me is, you know, if you've done something wrong to me, mm -hmm. I can forgive you, but I won't trust you anymore, and I would prefer not to be with you. Um, so is that forgiveness? What's not generous about that? You've basically just, I mean, what, what would make the difference is the attitude that you carry into that, I don't trust you. I don't fucking trust you. Is different than, you know, I think it's better that we not go there. Understand the difference? There's a huge qualitative difference. One's egoic, one's not. Sorry, I dropped the F-bomb. If I offended anybody, please apologize. I do, I do it about once a month. <laughs> I'll let you know when. What's the... Su you forgive me? <laughs> the, point, the point is, though, and the reason why the F-bomb, actually, it's, a really, it's, a, it's an incredible signal. It's an incredible sign for the signified, which is ego, ego, ego. Yeah? When our speech is laced with that kind of 
yeah, that kind of energy or fire, what we're really looking at is ego, sometimes really skillfully, playing language to create its own music, as opposed to actually creating an environment wherein understanding can, can unfold, where trust can develop, where direct communication can be heard, and more importantly, can be felt. So if, if you have been, let's say, wronged by someone, one of the most forgiving things you could do is not let them ever do it to you again. Why is that forgiving? Well, it's actually incredibly generous. It's, you know, what are we trying to do for each other? We're not trying to make each other happy. That's yet another great trap on this path. This, isn't, this path is not about happiness. Happiness ebbs and flows. It goes away and it comes back. Our awareness of happiness, on the other hand, goes in one direction, out. It doesn't stop. It keeps going. And so the more aware we are, the more uh, uh, facility we have with those kinds of, of uh, experiences of communication. This person has wronged me, suddenly starts becoming, well, hmm, I've wronged others too. I bet I know where they were coming from. I've got some work to do on me. What a blessing that they lied, right? It starts shifting. It starts becoming teaching, something that we can receive because we're no longer, we're no longer giving it the energy that the F-bomb might offer. It's no longer about being hurt or being wronged. It's being given an opportunity to grow and evolve. And one of the greatest ways you can manifest that opportunity is to make sure you are really clear about what is okay and what is not okay in your experience in an unattached way, with an open attitude as opposed to one that's this way. Does that kind of make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Is there heart in that? Is there heart in that? Yes. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Just checking. Yeah. When you're giving somebody the uh, definitely compassion to enter in also too, because in a way you you, you, you don't have that F-bomb happening. If you realize that you're just you have compassion for this person, that that's just what happened in whatever their circumstances. Yeah, yeah, you can't you can't forgive and not be compassionate unless you ready for this? Com com uh, uh, forgiveness always involves compassion except in one type of forgiveness. It's a very small kind of forgiveness. And the forgiveness sounds like this. I forgive you. <laughs> and the reason why, which you, I'm sure you know, both imply, it, I mean, it implies total separation. I am in here, and this I that points to precisely nothing, which I don't get, so, so fuck that, uh, says, right? It's so confused, it's so baffled by it, just, it, there's a lot of energy that comes up there, all right? And it says, I forgive you. Uh, do you remember in Schindler's List, one of the most amazing scenes was when uh, Eamon Goeth, played by um, uh, Ray Fiennes, says, I pardon you. And it was like the most amazing thing. He'd, huh, I, I pardon you. 
And then he went right back to just taking it out on everybody. But for a moment there, there was a recognition of generosity, okay? But even that generosity that he experienced was so tiny, was so small. It was, I pardon you, which sets up not only an inequality, but sets up this massive separation. And the sum total of human suffering is experienced in that gap. I'm just trying to break it down to like a human level where I mean, like you said, we all make mistakes and some way of like getting past those. Yeah, and we all do it in our own ways. Yeah, yeah, but that's really true. We all goof. We all goof. Yeah. So don't goof anymore, okay? Don't. So can we just stop now? No more goofing. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Thank you.